And it's been quite so far, and he's only beginning. And let's see what age he is and his brother and see where the Lord takes us this morning. So in Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 13, that's enough information in those seven verses to keep us here for many weeks. So we see here in Exodus chapter 7, we pick up in verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee. And Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of this land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. Very important verse. They're all important, but that one's a key verse. And Moses was fourscore years old, and Aaron fourscore and three years old, when they spake unto Pharaoh. And the Lord spake unto Moses, unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod, and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded, And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt. They also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Let's bow for a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that thou wouldst help us to digest these words, that thou wouldst chisel them into our hearts, and to remember who the true God of gods is, whose mercy endureth forever. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. The Lord speaks unto Moses again and commands him to stay the course. You go back to Pharaoh again. You go back, he tells Moses, and tell him again to let Israel go out of his land. Our Lord has warned and warned and warned Pharaoh already. And Pharaoh's heart is like stone. And he will not open his ears and he will not shut his mouth. Against the Lord. Now Jehovah Nisi, which is the Hebrew name for the God of banners who can never be destroyed. He can never be bordered. He can never be held captive. He's always victorious. Is now getting ready to take the playing field and annihilate this disobedient miscreant. And he always wins. The playing field is being laid out. Everything thus far that we've read and we've talked about the last several times I've had the honor of being able to preach here, we've been in here in the book of Exodus. And the Lord has laid out a pathway and a design of what's going to happen. 
And don't miss the fact here that everything has played out perfectly. Every prophecy, every last bit of it has played out perfectly because the Lord has said it, and when he says it, you can take it perfectly to the bank. We go back to chapter 14, the last time we were here. These are his people. Israel is mine, he said, and they will come out with this affirmation. What is Moses' response? And Matthew Henry says, and this is kind of difficult, this chapter ends the dispute between God and Moses. And I just want to say this morning, I don't blame Moses, but I highly advise you not to dispute God. That's not a smart thing to do. Moses has taken this to the elders. He was rejected. They would not buy it. He already went to them. They were already whining. They were already complaining. They were not worshiping. They were so used to 400, over 400 years of of other worship. The community conscience was that everything was a God except the true Jehovah. And they were fainting and failing. And Moses comes back and says, what do I do? They're already rejecting the word of the Lord, which they are responsible for. Behold, he says, basically, look at this mess. The children of Israel have not hearkened unto me, Lord. They have not listened. This is Moses speaking. Lord, they have not hearkened unto me. They give no heed, no credit to what I've said. How then can I expect Pharaoh should hear me if mine own people won't listen to me? How's he going to listen to me? Well, do you, did any, if you paid attention to that, to that uh, response of reading this morning in Isaiah chapter 63, that, that, that chapter and those two, third, three, and I think it was uh, verses three and four, they were the foundational principles of Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, where the blood is splattered all over his robe because that's what happens to his enemies in the end game. And so when the men this morning were talking about what kind of music we should have, I do believe personally that there should be a little more lament in our music to take the seriousness of God very serious because there's just too much playing around today and too much, too much entertainment. Not that we don't get enough of that during the week. But on a Sabbath day, remembering the Lord, you will see the beautiful, wonderful joy, encouragement, and the fulfilled absolute adulation in your soul if you understand what's going on in these verses. Through lament and through hard times and through God's word, the Lord brings joy to those that listen to him. And that's what ultimate joy comes from. And sometimes it's, it's a hard road. But if you don't listen to him, we're going to see how the Lord pronounced his name in two different ways today. God's plan will never be altered. And even not from the despair of Israel, it will not be altered. Even though they wouldn't listen, it wouldn't be altered. Not from the defiance of Pharaoh, it will not be altered. Matthew Henry calls this dispute between God and Moses very serious. Not a good idea to dispute God. Moses, again in despair, pronounces an objection. This is what we had learned in the beginning, that already Moses, and you didn't see this in any of the movies about Moses and the Ten Commandments or anything. You kind of, this didn't come up. The original Moses five times gave objections to the Lord and basically it said, I don't want to do this. I don't, this is too much for me. There's got to be somebody else that can do this. And the Lord says, no, no, you're, you're kind of going to do this. I'll give you your brother to help you out because he's a better orator, but you're going to do this. And then Moses is like, I don't want to do it. He goes, second time, you're going to do it. Three times, I don't want to do it. Three times, that's a Hebrewism. That's of the most utter superlative degree. But this is five times. 
Nope, I, they're not going to listen to me. I don't want to do it. Fifth time, nope, I don't want to do it. You're going to do it. And then Aaron's going to go with you. And here's the real fun part about the whole thing, what we were reading in Isaiah in the responsive reading this morning. I'm sorry, I keep pointing down. That's where my Bible is sitting. But what was the number one objective to the prophecies of Isaiah, what the Lord told Isaiah? Does anybody remember? You can talk. They're not going to listen. What was that old commercial, E.F. Hutton? When they speak, everybody listens. You know, Remember that? He said to Isaiah, they're not going to listen. But Isaiah knew that he should go forward and do it anyway because there was a higher calling. There was a bigger picture here. And so this is what the Lord tells Moses. He says, they're not going to listen. Pharaoh is not going to listen to you. Basically what he's saying, he's not going to listen to you all the way until I drown him in the Red Sea. He's not going to listen to you. That's a tough job. Verse, we see, you go back in chapter 4 and verse 13, the Lord tells him to stay the course. Stay the course. I'm giving you the charge to carry out my instructions to go back to Pharaoh. So he does. And then you see the rest of chapter 14, as you can see the seed of, of the begats from the seed of, of Aaron and, I mean, Reuben, I mean, Reuben and the sons of Jacob. And then when we get here to chapter 7, basically, this battle intensifies. The true and living God wages war upon a degenerate religion who have been persecuting God's people for over 400 years. This was a battle of great intensity that the Lord's preparing Moses and Aaron for in a nation of animists. What is an animist? They, the animists are those, see if this sounds familiar, because we have them today, believe it or not. An animist is those that they see God in everything, Trees, animals, river people, the sky, the rain, and they believe these objects have souls. And to take it a step further, by being polytheists in that object regarded as gods, they also worship them. So basically in Egypt, like kind of America today, pretty much everything was worshipped except the one object of worship that is to be worshipped. And that is Jehovah himself. And so this is, where, this is what Moses is up against. Even his own people weren't listening. So what happened? What happens is, God says to Moses, now if this one doesn't get you scratching your head, if you're not paying attention right now, I I understand because I've been there many times. If If you don't understand anything right now, this one will get you scratching your head. This one had me scratching my head. That's why I love studying it, to learn what it meant. But what does he say in verse 1, 2 and 3? And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god unto Pharaoh. What does that mean? Up to this point, well, not quite yet, because Moses hasn't trotted up the mountain yet and gotten the book of the law. But the book of the law was very understood by the prophets. The Lord said, Thou shalt have no gods before me. And all of a sudden now, the Lord is making Moses a god. What does that mean? There's only one god. Well, what happened? It tells us that God said to Moses, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh. Pharaoh now becomes a victim of his own animus, the belief that a supernatural force animates and organizes the universe and polytheistic degenerate religion. God has now, here's one of the points to why Moses had become a god. The Lord has put him in this position and given him a commission to be a god to Pharaoh. What did that do? It's brilliant. It's utterly brilliant when you figure out what really happened here. What's brilliant about it is the presentation. And what was so important about the presentation? Well, we'll see that here in a minute, too. 
Ever wonder what the real reason Moses and Aaron had been just? Why had they not been just taken out and executed for denying the gods of Pharaoh and promoting the God of Israel? What happened? God had blinded Pharaoh and had him believe that Moses was a god. Pharaoh did not worship Moses, but he was afraid of him. If he wasn't afraid of him, he would have taken Moses and Aaron and probably thrown them right into the very Nile River that was about to become blood and throw them right to the crocodiles. Because Pharaoh, all he had to do was snap his finger and it was over with. The power of the Pharaohs was incredible. Here Jehovah Elohim, which means in the Hebrew, the great creator and judge of all the earth, is making Moses the God. What's up with that? Do we not learn eventually, thou shalt have no gods before me? I have made thee a god. What makes this okay for Moses to be as a god, as opposed to the gods of Egypt and the false gods down through the ages, like Baal, Ashtaroth, Dagon, Dinah, Jupiter, and endless others, all the way down through the ages, the Greek philosophers were gods, they had statues. Remember what Paul said at Mars Hill, you have a god for everything, and there's one you don't even know. And accept that the true and living God, remember that? Well, there's a big difference between God making Moses a God, little g, and these other gods. Moses is empowered by God for a direct objective. Only by the commission of God to be a God in front of Pharaoh and in no other circumstance. The Lord told him specifically, you are going to appear before Pharaoh as a God because you and Aaron are Hebrew shepherds. And Hebrew shepherds were over the, the lowest rung of the work. The work it's, it's almost like a Galilean saying, like uh, it was Nathaniel that said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Even the Galileans looked down on the ones of people from Nazareth. And the Hebrew shepherds were the lowest form of life that there really were on the face of the earth. That's why it's amazing that Joseph became second in command when he was a Hebrew shepherd. Now again, two Hebrew shepherds now start taking the playing field. And Moses here basically has been turned into a god by Jehovah to get Pharaoh's attention. It was a commission. It wasn't something Moses came up and said, well, I'm going to be a god to these people, and from now on, Jehovah, I'll work with him, but I'm going to do my own thing from now on and have my own worship. It wasn't anything like that at all. Look at verse 6. I love this verse. And here's the difference between two Hebrew shepherds and the whole empire of Egypt and Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. That is the secret to life. That is everything you need to know about having a good, solid life. You've never learned how to live until you learn how to die. And if you want to learn how to die, you command, you do what the Lord commands you. And it says it right here. And that's exactly what Moses was doing. He didn't make himself a god. The Lord commissioned him. And what happens here is Jehovah is commissioning Moses to be a direct representative to Pharaoh, unswervingly appointed by the true and living God. Moses was authorized to speak and act in God's name as a type of Messiah. Not the Messiah, but a type of Christ, under his divine instruction and endued to do that which is above the ordinary power of nature and sent to warn Pharaoh, expose his disobedience, and pronounce the undoing and destruction of Pharaoh and his armies and to pronounce the punishment of his disobedience. That's what made him a god commissioned by God because he could do things that were unnatural. They were not natural. They were supernatural. 
Moses was given the power. So then why do we go back and we see how the Lord appoints Aaron as his prophet? Aaron, all he could be is an order. But Moses is the one that was given the power to tell Aaron to throw the, throw the, throw the, throw the, um, the rod down and it becomes a snake. He's the one that gives the edict for all of the plagues coming up, starting with, right in this very chapter, the, the bloody river of Nile. And he's given that, and what separates Moses from all these other self-proclaimed little g-gods, he literally has the power to do miracles. And real miracles, not enchantments. These were real miracles. God makes Aaron Moses' prophet. What does that mean? He makes Moses performs the miracles, and Aaron will be his soundboard, his orator. He's given the power to pronounce them and then denounce them. And the Lord told Moses, okay... Oh, you're objecting to doing this job. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you somebody you know all too well. He's a little older than you. He's got a little, you know, kind of a little bit more experience. You know, kind of like Wally and Beaver, remember? Wally had the experience and Beaver was following him. He's a little older and he's going to hold Moses by the hand and he's going to do the orations that Moses is a little worried about. But it's funny when you read through it, Moses actually did most of the talking down the road. So I just thought I'd you know, let, you, let you know that. But you see here, I have made thee a God. Not have I just made thee a God. God had put the protective hedge around Moses by giving them this power. And now, if you can take yourself, basically, and put them, you can put yourself in Moses' position, you have to be scared out of your gourd. I mean, he's not 30 years old anymore. We just read, how old is he? Yeah, how old is Aaron? Do the math. 83. You know, a lot of great things can happen when you're older. A lot of great things. You know, this was a protection that the Lord had given Paul and Barnabas that when they were preaching, and they were protected as being regarded as gods, and they were not destroyed by the Roman Empire and the Pharisaical cult. When they went in, you Acts chapter 14, verse 11 to 13, we read, and when the people saw that Paul had done what they had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech in Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before the city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates and would have done sacrifice with his people. And of course, we know Paul and Barnabas would not have anything to do with accepting worship. And they came back and rebuked them. But that, that posturing that they were not posturing, but the wicked here were turning them into gods. It protected them. And this is what protected Moses and Aaron. So we see here that the correspondence between God and Moses is about to end, but not before God reifies his plan through these verses. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, you will prophesy. I will harden Pharaoh's heart again. And this is God's elect plan to close Pharaoh's heart. I will multiply my signs and my wonders, Carry them out and expand them. Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that I might punish them. Pharaoh's disobedience would be his undoing. He says, I will bring my people out as he all the way back in the Abrahamic covenant said to Abraham, these people are going to wander for 400 years, but I'm going to deliver them. And he did it. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Egypt will find out who the real God is. I will stretch forth mine arm and the final after God will bring down the hammer. God shows that Aaron's job is to be a prophet, a spokesman. 
He surely did not have the Egyptian grammar skills that Moses was taught, yet he did not question the Lord. Remember, Moses had really high education. Aaron did not. But Aaron's the one who gives, his, who gives the blessing of being the pastor. He's the one that's going to do the work. Is there anybody today that's willing to do the work? He accepted his responsibility without quarreling or questioning God. And whatever Moses would direct Aaron to say, God's divine inspiration, Aaron would carry it out. And this is a great application for a witness of Christ. If Aaron could stand before the terrifying presence of Pharaoh and deliver the inspired holy word of God before Egyptian courts and give the truth facing death, what responsibility do the ministers of the word of God today to have to say have to the same to do the same before their congregations? If Aaron had the courage to do this. Look at Jeremiah chapter 23 verses 1 1 and 2. Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people. You have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doing, saith the Lord. And you want to know what I love about Moses at 80 years old till he was 120 and he literally had a, he had literally a holy inspired heavenly funeral on the mountain. He's going to live from 80 to 120. He's got another 40 years left. And in all the 40 years, if you study him, not one time did he ever try to divide the flock. He never tried to push any of the congregation out. He never tried to, 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 to pacify them or patronize them or do anything to, to bring attention to himself over God. And even when they had defied God and they had in a pagan way danced naked around a golden calf, he begged the Lord to repent and to not destroy, not hurt one hair on their head. And everything the Lord did was of his providence. Moses was a good pastor. He was a type of a Christ. Now we know that the Christ is Jesus, but a type of Christ is a messenger. That's what it meant. In Hebrew categories, he was a messenger to the people. And he never tried to divide the congregation and split them and hurt them. He was a good pastor. Every gimmick to get people in the big mega churches is used today, and it hurts them. From bands to clowns to dancers to, a, to, to attaching malls, coffee, coffee shops, and even have a driving oil changing station to have your car service while you worship is made available to get people to be able to do it all while they worship. That hurts the congregation. Aaron obeyed the voice of God and gave the word of God. He's a prophet. And at this verse, we see that the, this speaks volumes as God refers to Egypt as his, his, his land that he, he literally calls the people of Israel his people, but he says that Egypt is his land. And he is going to preside over the legislation of Pharaoh and win this battle. God is ready to start inflicting judgment. And so now we see that God is ready to make his move and to send Moses and Aaron in. First time Moses makes his application to Pharaoh, he produced his instructions only by the word. And we see that there was conversation going back and forth. Now all of a sudden, physical representations will start arising in this. And when this happens, this is just the beginning. And it's absolutely incredible how the Lord uses these miracles. And we go back as we see in verse 5, And the Egyptians, the Lord says, No 
shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And you have to start asking the question. You're looking at something here in Scripture that is heavenly. Something that is extremely important that the Lord wanted us to know. Because if you, you, if you punch in the word Moses or Egypt or Pharaoh, it will pop up all throughout Scriptures all the way to the end. And over and over and over again, as we read in, as we read in Isaiah 63 this morning, the Lord talks over and over again. He says, I'm a merciful God because I delivered the people out of Egypt. You remember that? When Christ talked about that in his ministry, he went, always went back to that. And why? To show God's mercy. To show how he says, if I delivered them, I'll deliver you. And that's the encouragement. That's the connection from us to study this and go back over 3,500 years ago, where we're connected to Moses, is the Lord said that I will deliver you and he will deliver us. He will deliver us no matter how hard it gets one way or the other. He has the power to do that. Now the orders that God is giving is to turn a rod into a serpent according to the instructions all the way going back to chapter 4, verse 3. And I'd like to read that real quick because it's good to go back and to remember that. And the Lord, let's go back to chapter 4, verse 2. And the Lord said unto him, unto Moses, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it down on the ground. And he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. Now you see the objective. Why was he having? He was practicing. He's saying, put, throw it down on the ground, and let's just see. I want you to see that when that rod hits the ground, what will happen to it? Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody told me to go into the middle of, like, Kim Jong-un <laughs> and to take this rod here from the church and just take it, get it on the plane, throw it down at his feet, and it's going to turn into a serpent, <laughs> I wouldn't want to do it. You know, what happens if you throw it down and it never becomes a serpent? You know what Kim John Uncle do to you. You know what he did to his uncle. And so what happens, to, what, what happens here is the Lord brings him through and he practices. He says, I don't care if you throw it down a thousand times. Every time I say it turns into a snake, it's going to turn into one. And it did. And Moses, he did it. He was all ready. He trusted the Lord. The same rod that was to give the signal of the other miracles is now itself the subject of a miracle. God is now putting a reputation upon this rod to strike fear into Pharaoh and slowly and methodically wear him down to fall in line with God's plan of deliverance. That was the objective. Did it happen? The rod became a frightening, hissing serpent right in front of the eyes of a Pharaoh. You have to ask, why didn't he just turn it into a little bunny rabbit? Or like into a little like deer or something. Something, you know, you pet a little dog or something. He wanted to strike fear in him. And I don't know about you, but when I'm walking in the backyard or I'm in the woods and a snake pops out, I feel a little bit different about that than a bunny rabbit <laughs> or, or even a deer or something. That'll get your attention real quick, that thing. And I guarantee it wasn't one of these little things that we see in the garden, a little garter snake. I bet you this thing was a full-blown eight-foot cobra, probably something that, really would get their attention. This rod became a frightening, hissing serpent. It's no wonder that Christ calls Satan a serpent. And in Genesis chapter 3, he's referred to as the serpent. Moses' rod is cast down by Aaron. Aaron was the one who was given the job to prophesy for Moses. He takes hold of the rod, casts it down, and guess what? 
it becomes a serpent. It does exactly what God said it would do. And he answers, he answered, we see here, we would suppose at this point that, par- that, that Pharaoh would be an abject terror and melt at the sight. But we also remember that just as that rod became a serpent, the Lord had also said something to Moses not to not forget. You can do all of these miracles and do all of these enchantments. It's going to keep his attention, but he's not going to listen. And that's a hard thing as a Christian. Isn't it a hard? One of the prayer requests we have consistently, and I've said, I mean, we've, we've all together talked about this, is praying for unsaved loved ones. And you ask, how long, O oh Lord? I've been witnessing to, to this family member for 25 years, and I just don't see anything. Don't stop. I've been witnessing to this one for 10 years, and I just don't see anything. Don't stop. I've been witnessing to this one for one day, and I see nothing. Don't stop. Just keep, keep going. You know, the Lord, the Lord knows this. You, you keep doing it. Like Moses, he kept going back. And before we go a little further, I forgot to talk about 80 years old. You know, you see a lot of cars today with elderly people driving around, 80, 90, whatever, and their objective is to spend their kids' inheritance. It says that on the bumper sticker. Or, you know, they just act like their life is over and there's nothing left. Well, for Moses, it was just beginning. That's how I want to be at 80 years old if the Lord gives me that. That's I want to think like that because he was young. He was young at heart and he was out there and there's all these young whippersnappers around 20, 30 years old and he's the one that held the rod at 80 years old. And I think that's great because I love the wisdom of the elderly. I know this, one thing I always knew and it always paid off for me when I got into working with bulldozers is when I was in my 20s, I always listened to the guys that were 50, 60, 70, and 80 years old because they had forgotten more than I'd ever know and they ran bulldozers back in the 40s and 50s when they were just being invented and I knew they knew what they were talking about. You don't get that today. I go out, some of these guys who work for some of these companies and they're new salesmen and they're out of college and I try to tell them, they just laugh at you. They don't even want to talk about it and you feel like a relic but I'm glad that I listened because it really helped me out. And one of the things that I love is don't, I didn't just listen to the people that I met. I've listened my whole life to this story about Moses because Moses, he was a great example. He had gray hair by now, no doubt. He was older, probably slower and weaker. But I'm going to tell you right now, he wasn't waiting for AARP and Medicare to kick in. <laughs> he had the Lord right there to watch over him. And I love that. And if that's not good enough, his brother's 83. You know, a lot of people in their 70s and 80s that did a lot of great things. I mean, look at uh, Ronald Reagan pushing 80 years old. He was president of the United States. Now, this guy that just turned 80, I'm sorry, I can't say nothing about him. He, he didn't do anything when he was 20 years old, so I can't say nothing about this guy. Sorry. Not really sorry. We would suppose at this point that Pharaoh would be an abject terror, but he's not. So what happens? Now here's a big question, and I can't answer this. I don't know, maybe somebody else can, but I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm some kind of a smart guy, because I don't know. But what happened when the sorcerers came back and they threw down the rods and it became snakes? Were they real snakes? Was it enchantments? It said enchantments, yes it was, but it says their rods also. They tried to come back and they tried to mimic the miracle that Moses had. And that was a stupid thing to do. 
But anyway, it does say here in Scripture, and we read Scripture, i got to read it. It says, after Moses was four score years old, we go down for, I just, I, love, I just love that part about his age. It says in verse 12, let's go back to verse 11 in chapter 7. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians, that's the big word, of Egypt. They also did in like manner with their enchantments, for they cast down every man his rod and they became serpents, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. So were they real snakes or was it a smoke and mirrors kind of thing where they actually had some snakes in a bag and they cast down a rod and they let it kind of snivel out of the bag? I don't know, maybe. Was it, were they real snakes? I personally believe that the Lord actually turned them into snakes so that Aaron's and Moses' snake could eat theirs and show them who's boss. That's what I think happened, personally. But there's a lot of... See, you start reading about it, it'll give you a headache on all the different objectives of theologians saying, oh, it could have been a fake snake, it could have been... There it could have had a cobra, these were just little garter snakes, and there's all kind of conjecture, and it's not the point. Point is, is when it's all said and done, who ate who? Who was ahead of the food chain there? Well, one thing we do learn about this, and it's something I did not want to miss... Don't ever underestimate the power of Satan. Witchcraft is real. And these things do happen. Voices do appear in some of these horrible, these horrible seances and things. And you want to stay as far away from them as you possibly can. I don't like Harry Potter. I don't like anything about that. It's all witchcraft. I know some people do. I know the story was fascinating. I knew that. But it's, it's scary. It's too much, too much satanic stuff in there. Remember, Paul writes and conveys to us that as Christians, we have a raging battle going on. And we see it all the way back here with the soothsayers, the sorcerers, the witchcraft, and the magicians, as opposed to Moses and Aaron honoring the Lord. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And sadly, in our nation, witchcraft for many years has become an accepted religion. I remember years ago, Lisa and I were in Florida with the kids, and we saw a group of young teenagers all dressed in black, hovering around each other, being led by a psychic out in the streets who, who we could overhear predicting the future. Witchcraft has become an accepted religion. I remember one person was telling, I was talking years ago about Wiccans, or pagan satanic worship. It's recognized. Listen to this from the Air Force Academy. In Denver, the Air Force Academy has set aside an outdoor worship area for pagans, Wiccans, Druids, and other earth-centered believers, earth-centered. A double circle of stones atop a hill, they set this up, on campus near Colorado Springs has been designated for the group which previously met indoors, being with nature, animists, and connecting with it is kind of the whole, with its kind, and the whole point of it was from this Sergeant Brandon who sponsors the group and describes himself as a pagan, that it will dramatically improve the atmosphere and the mindset and the actual connection in the Air Force. They set this up. This other colonel, along with him, is the, the academy's chaplain, said designating the space is part of the school's effort to foster religious tolerance and to defend the constitutional guarantee of religious freedom. It's about our commitment as airmen to protect freedom and defend freedom. To me, this is a freedom thing, he said. The academy superintendent, Michael Gould, has made religious tolerance a priority. 
It became a concern years ago when a survey found many cadets had heard slurs or jokes about other religions. They got a problem with that. Because now in colleges, you can, have, you can literally get out of college classes and you can bring out your rug and fall down to your knees and pray. You can go up here to the Denver, Colorado and have all these stones and even the colonels will make you an altar for Wiccans. You try mentioning the name of Jesus Christ and you don't get anything. You don't get funding, you don't get grants, you don't get anything but nothing but being called, so small learned this morning, terrorist and homophobic. That's what you get. So is it real tolerance? Is it across the board fair tolerance? No. And you know, it's amazing what I love about this. Moses and Aaron, they were the Jesus freaks. And they were the ones standing there and all of Egypt was watching, watching them and they're standing there, two 80 and 83 year old men, throwing down a rod, it turns into a serpent and it eats their serpent. As always, God's army is victorious and Moses, one serpent, swallows up all the serpers, sor sorcerer's serpents. This is a manifestation of God's power and plan. And the funny thing is, this isn't even a plague yet. All this is is a teaching lesson. This is basically a warning sign. I forget, I've listened to it many times. Pastor Coleman had a sermon many years ago called Warning Signs. And he says you're driving along and your engine light comes on and you just let it go and your engine blows up. Well, you had a warning sign. You're pushing your baby in a, baby, uh, uh, in a, in a stroller and the baby starts to cry. That's a warning sign. Something's wrong. And the Lord gives us these warning signs. And the warning signs are there. Do we pay attention to them? Well, this is a warning sign. And if Pharaoh would have listened, and if, if we could go back and read in, in Exodus 7, verse 6, that not only did Moses and Aaron listen, but Pharaoh listened, he would have avoided a lot of problems. And the hardest one is at the very end of the plagues, losing his firstborn son. And that was of God. He didn't believe it, but it was of God. Well, before we even get out of this chapter, after this first warning sign and Pharaoh's ears are closed, all of a sudden, all the water, we'll look at that next, next time I can come here and preach here. We're going to look at how that water turned into blood. We can believe that God also has the power to do anything. He can do anything, not just have a, a rod turn into a serpent, but look at all the other miracles that come down. Can you imagine... Can you imagine, remember the old television show, This Was Your Life? Can you imagine Moses being the recipient of that? What did you do during your life? Well, I talked to God. The Red Sea parted. Here's my rod. You know, that'd be worth something on eBay right now. And, uh, I, you know, I saw the Ten Commandments. I held them, and I, I broke the first set, but the second set I kept. And the Lord was pretty upset. But he, you know, Can you imagine what he'd be saying? This was your life at 120 years old? In the final analysis, God always glorifies Himself and makes it known that He is Jehovah. Psalm 81.10 I am the Lord thy God which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. Isaiah 43.3 For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia, and see before them. Israel would be made to known that God, God's glory through His Word, His promises and His covenants, His miracles and mercy, Egypt would also know God's Word. 
and all pagan God-hating nations will be made to know His glory by the pouring out of His wrath upon them. His name is exalted in those that are saved and those that perish. He humbles the proud and He exalts the poor. And I'll end with this. Luke 1, 51 and 52. He hath showed strength with His arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich He hath sent empty away. And this brings me back to the closing of what Pastor Olson said the last night of the ICCC conference. And he spoke about the seven seals. The only one that had the power to look at the seals and to open the book is our Savior, the one that died on the cross to save us from our sins. And when those seven seals are poured out, Pastor Olson said something that I love. He went back to David and David said, How many times? How many times? You go to Psalm 6. He says, I am sore vexed, O Lord, but thou, O Lord, how long? I am weary with my groanings. All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eye is consumed with, with grief. It waxeth old because of all of my enemies. Let all the workers of iniquity depart from me, for the Lord shall hear the voice of my weeping. He shall hear my supplications. He shall receive my prayer. He says, how long? Over and over and over again. And then Pastor Olson said... When the Lord finally does this, then the Christians will know how long, because this is coming. Remember, God is timeless. And whatever you have in your life that seems like it's dragging out in me, I, I, I go through it too. The trials, they seem long and they seem arduous, but the Lord has no timing. Be patient. Wait upon the Lord. Let's, let's finish with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Moses. We thank Thee for Aaron. Most of all, we thank Thee for Thy direction and Thy divine providence and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank Thee, Lord, that the good news of the Evangelion, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is about Thy ministry, it's about Thy works and Thy miracles, it's about our salvation, and it shows us exactly what's going to happen when we leave this world. Many people say, I hope I go to heaven. But those that truly know the Lord say, I know where I'm going, and they walk over glass to show other people and to warn them and to encourage them. So, Lord, help us to do that through thy word today and bless us. Keep us from falling. And, Lord, I pray today for a special prayer for Mr. Berta and Ms. Doris, who couldn't be with us because Ms. Doris has been feeling kind of down and she has been doing well. I pray that that will heal her. And, Lord, all of our requests, Lord, for Wednesday, and I pray for them, Lord. I just pray for them. And bless us, and Lord, give us a good day to enjoy fellowship with each other and our families. Save our unsaved loved ones, Lord. And I pray for all those that had unspoken prayer requests today, especially from Wednesday night, that that would comfort and give them direction. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.